welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 13. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommy Smith. And here on episode 13, we had the privilege of having an interview with Milwaukee Bucks assistant coach and who is also the head coach of their G League affiliate, the Wisconsin Herd, Chasen Allen. Uh, th- this was a really fun interview for me. Um, Sadly, Tommy was unable to be a part of it. Uh, He had some great questions ready that I was able to ask for him. Tommy's power went out, unfortunately, on the time that we were able to actually get worked out with Chasen. Uh, He's super busy right now. Um, They're in the pre-draft process, uh, just kind of evaluating all kinds of prospects, working guys out, having meetings every single day. So even though it is their off-season, there's really no stop for these guys. And so he was able to be, uh, be generous enough to give us some time. And so uh, that was what we were able to schedule with him. And so sadly, because of the unfortunate circumstances, Tommy was not able to be in there for that. But like I said, Tommy had some great questions and I was able to ask them. And uh, Chasen's answers were very interesting just all throughout. Um, Had a great time with him. Uh, You know, somebody that I've enjoyed talking to, like I say, towards the beginning of the interview, somebody I was able to meet about three or four summer to go, summers ago and work with for a week uh, in Middle Tennessee. Just a really nice guy, really good guy. Um, and he's got a bright future ahead of him in his coaching career. Um, you know, there were some things that I want to highlight that I, that I didn't go over um, in his interview. One was I actually felt bad about it was, I mean, the guy was coaching alongside Darvin, Darvin Ham for seasons now. And so I wanted to just ask some perspective on Darvin Ham. But the problem was I did before we really started recording, getting the episode. So then I didn't think about it whenever we were actually in the recording. So, but he said lots of great things about Darvin Ham. And, uh, you know, he, he was just telling me how, how he's really happy for him. So I thought that was cool. But I also didn't want to ask Chasen about the Bucks uh, ending to their season. Um, I just didn't feel like that was right at this time. Um, still very fresh. Um, an unfortunate circumstance with their team with Chris Middleton being injured. Um, just, just those kinds of things. I didn't feel like it was fair to, to have that conversation with him, especially at this point in time. So, um, you know, out, out of respect for that, I did not want to ask about any of that. So uh, I want to just give a heads up on that before you guys hear the interview and maybe wonder why I didn't ask him about either Darvin Ham or the ending for the Bucks season this past season. Um, you know, we, we want to talk a little bit of finals with, with you guys real quick, but we're not going to go super in-depth just because, uh, you know, we're two games in and we're going to do some really in-depth finals talk with you uh, early next week. So, you know, this is really just a big episode for us to have an interview with an assistant coach within the league, a really cool opportunity. But uh, we also are going to talk a little bit of Utah before the interview as well, the Jazz. Um you know, some breaking news that came out the other day. But, uh, Tommy, um, I mean, I know you were as excited as I was for us to have Chasen on. Um, what can you say for us about, you know, just the excitement level and just actually being able to get this opportunity? No, yeah, I was super excited when I figured out that we were going to get him on. And it sucks that I didn't get to be on there and ask the questions that I wanted to. But uh, luckily I have a great host uh, – co-host of the podcast Kyle he asked the questions for me got them answered and it was just really great and it's really great that he was able to make some time to you know he's a really busy man so it's like awesome that he made some time to talk to us about um the Bucks organization and when we get when we'll have more guests on and we're we're not going to really ask them about the ending to their season because they are guests to this podcast um and they are taking the time out of their day to be here. So we don't want to leave them on a, a, a sour, sore note, you know? But exactly. I really mean, awesome pod – a really yeah. awesome interview with uh, Chasen. Yeah, I mean, no no doubt. Like, like, you know, no no names yet because I don't want, I don't want to do that. But we are having some guests – some other guests come on the pod. And, you know, depending on how their season ended, uh, you know, I just think it's unfair and, and not, not right to talk to them about that this soon. Uh, or to put them on the spot with those type of questions. So exactly what Tommy said. Um, but, you know, uh, before we get into the interview with Chasen, 
just some real quick finals talk. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. So game three is tomorrow. I have no idea if this will be uploaded tomorrow for you guys or Thursday. That's why we're keeping talk very brief. Um, but tied up 1-1. Um, awesome game one win for Boston. Completely stolen game, in my opinion. And then the Warriors come back and win game two uh, in pretty good fashion, um, after, you know, especially once the third quarter hit. Uh, Tommy, what do you think about this series so far, uh, enjoyment level and just uh, the competitiveness on both sides? Oh, the enjoyment level is 100% there. You get to see, like, one of the best offensive teams in the league play one of the best defensive teams in the league. And that's always going to be a clash of, like, titans almost. It's uh, – Pete teams trying to prove uh, their way of doing things are better. But um, game one was amazing. Um, I don't know how you how you blow that lead. but um, And then game two was just as good. Um, no complaints at all. I mean, maybe maybe some ref in here and there, but there's always going to be that. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And game two specifically, I do think that, that you know, it was poorly called early on. But I'm not going to credit that to Boston losing at all. It was a lot of careless, unforced turnovers. Um, you know, that's been a problem for this Boston team throughout the playoff run. Uh, you know, when you get this team not turning the ball over, they are seemingly unstoppable. But that is an issue of theirs. And sometimes that's that can be a cost of not having a real deal true point guard like they don't. You know, there's, there's pros and cons to it. Um, but that is a con to it. And so they are susceptible to those uh, turnovers here and there. And, you know, I guess, I guess my big question for Boston is can they control the ball and not just have these unforced turnovers for four games? Because I, I you know, you guys know I picked Boston, but uh, to me, it's if they're able to find a way to do that in four games, they win the series. Um, Tommy, you picked Golden State. Um, what are some things that you've seen that keep you optimistic about your pick going forward? It's just they capitalize off of the little mistakes, and they do it really well. Like, it, Golden State is one of the best constructed teams in the league, and it, the way they play together is just amazing. So they just need to keep playing together. Um, we need – I mean, not we, but they need some big nights out of pool again. He can't uh, go stagnant like he has been in this playoff some, and then they're going to need a little bit more out of clay. Um, Draymond, he can keep doing what he's doing. Obviously, he's not getting called for any of it, so – um, those are my those are my keys for Golden State. I, I have no issue with Draymond Green whenever it comes to play on the floor. I actually respect him probably a lot more than a lot of other people do, um, in the sense that I I do realize his impact for that team specifically. Um, it, it still to be determined, and we may never figure out what happens if he's on another team. I feel like he's going to be on that team until he calls it quits. But you know, it is what it is. He is on that team, and he provides them a great. Um, Great, a lot of things, <laughs> not just one. Um, but I, I do. I, I'm not a big fan at all of the way he goes about doing things, whether it's trying to set some physical tone, because to me he does it in the wrong way, or just I, I don't really mess with him. Just dog cussing refs in their face all the time, and I don't like how he's just able to get away with all that. Um, but, again, like I said, it has nothing to do with his play on the floor. A great player that does a lot of things that is great for Golden State and what they do. Um, I think you hit the hammer on the nail with the whole point about Golden State capitalizing on mistakes. That's something that we talked about going into the series. There, that's, that's why it's important for Boston to not turn the ball over because one thing Golden State has proven time and time again is if you do turn the ball over, if you do make mistakes, they are going to capitalize on it. So that's definitely something that's important. Um, real quick, I want to ask you, um, Gary Payton was back in game two. Uh, did you like what you saw? I did. I did. He brought another, like, aspect that sometimes uh, pool, like pool doesn't bring in the lineup that they're running doesn't bring. So um, I did like Gary Payton. He, pl he played a little bit of defense. He was, he was here. He was there. Yeah, and – you know, going into the series, um, first off, I didn't know his status, really. Um, I know they said he was probably going to be back, but we just didn't know for sure. Um, but, you know, knowing he was going to come back, I, I was kind of questioning how much I thought he would maybe be able to play in this series. And it's not as if him being unplayable. It's just 
what are your what are your effects on the good side of him playing? Because to me, it was like, you know, he is one of those more the uh, weaker offensive links um, overall. And then he's also, uh, although he's great defensively, I just thought it was a different challenge than against like a Grizzlies team where they were excited about him guarding John Morant before he got hurt. Now it's like two big wing players. But, um, you know, he, he did a good job on Jason Tatum. Uh, he wasn't really on Brown much at all. He was on Jason Tatum quite a bit, though. Um, Tatum did a great job hitting some shots over him. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, exci- I'm excited to see how they maybe go about attacking him going forward just because of the size advantage. But he did a great job in game two. Um, I actually really, really liked the lineup of Steph, GP, Wiggins, Draymond, um, those four in together. Um you know, whether the fifth was like Looney or Clay, I just like seeing those four play together. I, uh, specifically Otto Porter Jr., though, when he was in mm-hmm. as well. Um, I really liked that lineup, so I'm interested in seeing that lineup more as the series goes on. Um, do you think we've kind of hit that plateau already after two games in terms of both teams showing their hand? Yeah, I think actually that we have to be. I mean, I mean there might be a little bit of like a few more tricks up I, Boston. I want to say their sleeve, but um, I think we've seen Golden State to their full potential. You know what they're going to do. Yeah, obviously a team can throw some some random move out of nowhere, but I do think for the most part they they've both pretty much shown like, hey, this is what we're doing, and. Mm-hmm. I love it once you get to that point in a series because it's really just who's going to execute better and who's going to make more who's going to make more open shots and who's going to just you know kind of out tough the other one. Um, yeah, I think both coaches have done a great job at this point. You agree? Yeah, and they're both like I'd say top five coaches in the game. Emay's first year in, he's a beast, dude. Yeah, and you know just to respect the other coaches, I I. I and without trying to rank things on the spot, uh, whether they're top five or not, they're both in that, like, elite category. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, didn't want to go too in-depth with finals talk just because this may end up being uploaded after game three. And then maybe at that point, even if it is after game three, maybe you all as listeners don't even get to hear it until after game four potentially. Uh, But just real quick, one last question about the finals. Um, Tommy, how do you feel about your pick from the beginning? You got. I, f- I feel like, I, f- I feel like my pick has a real possibility, but that's the thing about the series. I feel like everyone in that that episode where we talked about it, I feel like everyone's pick has you know real possibility of happening because these both these teams are just different. They're in the finals for a reason, you know. Yeah. Um, as you guys know, I picked Boston seven. Um, I had a really tough time. Just because, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, I think both teams are that good, and I thought that they matched up well. Um, you know, on paper, you maybe tell yourself just with matchups and stuff like that that Boston has the clear advantage, but it's really not that way because of the stuff that's just not clear as day on paper. So I thought it was going to be a long series. I still think it's going to go the distance, but we will see. I'm expecting a long series. I expected it from the beginning. I'm going to keep my pick, you know? I mean, I'm not just going to go away from it. It's 1-1. Boston did their job on the road. I'm the same way. Yep. So, you know, enough finals talk for now. We'll really go in depth next week, you know, whether whether the result at that point, whatever it could be, we will we'll find a way to go more in depth for you guys because we want to do that. But it just is not the most ideal timing because of when this episode may drop. But Before we get into the interview as well, we also want to talk about one more thing, and that is the current state of the Utah Jazz. Um, Some big news that came out, I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, one of the two, but uh, it's kind of crazy how that stuff goes. Sometimes it feels like it's been known for a while now, I guess, because of the tension within the organization after they lost the Mavericks with no Luka for three games. but the big news was that Quinn Snyder is stepping down as head coach. Tommy, did this come to you as a surprise? Yes, man. They were – and it's not like 
they were just, you know, weren't like complacent, like they were going to stay like that the whole time. It what I don't believe that any of, you know, their defeats were his fault, but so I was super surprised. Um, you know, just to also clarify for people, this was not something that was like some mutual agreement or like, or they just wanted him to be able to say he was stepping down, but it was really like the Jazz firing him. No, I mean, Danny Ainge and management within the organization made it pretty clear in the exit interview thing or in some notes. Whether I don't know if it was like an interview, I just I read it. Um, they wanted him there. They they made that pretty clear. Like like we didn't want this to happen, but he wanted to do it. Um, he was still under contract for next year. Um, I definitely don't think that this is the end of his like NBA coaching career. No, I, I pray it's not. That'd be like just like it's, I, I don't think it is. I personally just think it was something where, you know, he, he's been there almost a decade. Um, I think he's given the organization everything he's had. He's tried lots of things, but I think for him it was just like I've given it what I've got with this core. We've we've had different management. Um, We've tried a few different smaller moves around Don and Rudy. I think he just kind of hit a point where he was like, I've done what I can with this group. And I didn't have a huge problem with him leaving. It just came as a shock to me. Yep, same here. Um, also, right after he said he was stepping down, because some people said that they didn't think that it came as a shock to them, um, Donovan Mitchell was shocked. And that was reported when Woj came out and said that Donovan Mitchell is unsettled and unnerved within the organization because of the shocking news of Quinn Snyder to him. What did this make you think the moment that you saw that? I was instantly concerned for Utah because it's like the way that Donovan made it seem it's like someone lied to him, which would make him upset. Well, well, I just want to. I don't. I don't think he viewed it as he was lied to or anything. Yeah. I think he just was in shock because I think this is one of those things where I personally don't think before this, and we'll get into this topic in a minute. I personally don't think before this that Donovan was in any kind of headspace of just maybe potentially asking out at any point. I think he liked Utah. I think he loved playing under Quinn Snyder, and so for mm-hmm. him just something that really shocked him so much that that's why this report came out. Yeah, and so I think uh, Utah's in, in a lot of trouble because unless they bring in whoever Donovan Mitchell says, I say he's out of there or he asks out of there. Now, Zach Lowe brought up an interesting point on his podcast, and that was – or him and Tim McMahon. He had Tim McMahon on, and they—they they, I don't remember which one of them brought this up, but they brought it up, and I wanted to ask you about it. How much say do you think Donovan Mitchell will try to have in this next coaching hire? And and I just I want your raw answer first, but I'll give you some points that they said about it afterwards. Okay, I think my my raw answer is he will have a lot of input on the coaching, like. He'll ultimately decide is what I think. So do you so you think that he'll want to be very involved with that? Yeah. Okay. I would have thought the same thing, but Tim McMahon brought up a great point. If Donovan does have some thoughts of potentially leaving, it's probably in his best interest to maybe stay away from this coaching hire. Because in a sense, if he's all hands on deck and is all over it, it's almost like a commitment to the organization. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I think his hand will be on it, but I do think if he has any thoughts at all about, okay, well, if this doesn't go well, like I don't know if I see myself here long-term, I think he might think that way. And I think that – I can see that too. That's very realistic. I thought – I don't think that he's going to be in a – I don't think he'll be in a position where he'll just kind of stay away from it completely unless he really – just only wanted to play for Quinn Snyder, and so he wants to go elsewhere. Or only for Quinn Snyder while in Utah. And so he just wanted to go somewhere, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I d- definitely feel bad for Utah fans because it's kind of a lot right now. Um, and, you know, just 
some speculation here and just wanted to point this out before we get into it. All hypotheticals here. Let's say Donovan Mitchell does ask for a trade or does say he wants to be out. Again, not saying it's going to happen. We have no idea right now. But it, but there is some reason to think that it maybe could potentially happen. So I want to ask you, and I know that we didn't really go over this, but just on the spot, what are three landing spots that you think would be great for Donovan Mitchell that are that are at least somewhat realistic to potentially have if he did ask? Okay. You. Okay, I'm gonna go um, Charlotte. Okay. Um, Denver. Denver would be cool. I don't know if and they then, could, but that would be interesting. Yeah, and then I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, actually Brooklyn if uh, the if they would want to ever move away from Kyrie because I saw some reports about that as well. That's interesting because for me. If I saw him going to – if I thought he would go to Brooklyn, I would think it would be around Ben Simmons and draft capital. Because yeah, I mean, I can see that too. But, I mean, I, I've been reading a lot of stuff about Brooklyn, like just not not Kevin Durant related, just like their upper, you know, management. The thing for me with Brooklyn is I don't, I don't see a scenario where Utah would be interested in Kyrie Irving – and draft capital just because Kyrie wouldn't stay there. Yeah, yeah. Like, like that's a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, yeah, he would. Kyrie, you thought eight for Kyrie. I do think if they did want to get involved, there was like maybe if it was at the trade deadline next year or something, and they were able to actually see Ben Simmons on the floor uh, for a while. I I do think that's not way out there. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, if he looks somewhat decent. My three that I think he would be the best fit at um, and that I think would be realistic as well, just depending on where he may be. Because the thing is, is like, does he just say he wants a trade or does he say, I want to be in one of these places? Uh, but so my, my last one is going to be if he wanted to be in a specific place. But my first two are going to be, I think the one that you probably heard that you guys have probably heard about is the Miami Heat and for them, uh, they they made a move. They made a move at the deadline with the Thunder, where they were able to have um, access to later draft picks um, going into this summer to be able to play with. So, uh, you know, I guess Pat Rodge did did that to be safe in case he wanted to further look to improve the roster, which has probably ended up being a smart move. Um, you know, that would be one of those things where it's like a Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero deal with a bunch of draft capital. I think it just depends on how Utah views Tyler Hero in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to say, for me personally, and, and you know I'm not the biggest Hero guy, and I don't know if the listeners know that. I can't recall how much I've really talked about Hero um, in a specific way. But – I gotta say, if I was in Utah's front office, that that's probably not it for me. Yeah. Um, do you maybe have a different outlook on it, or would you kind of agree? I I kind of agree. It'd be nice to see Tyler Hero kind of with his own team, see what he does. But like, I don't think it'd be good for the long term. You know. I, I do agree. It would be interesting to see Hero in a different setting and like with the ball in his hands as like a first option or whatever, just to see what maybe he's capable of. But I guess like, I also understand why a team wouldn't want to gamble on that, especially giving up a, a young, a young star. Yeah. Um, but my second one, uh, also, I'm just going to get this out of the way. The, the New York Knicks are not on this. Um, I do think that the Knicks actually had a, a decent offer that they could maybe give, but – and that is home for Donovan Mitchell. So, okay, I'm not going to call that one crazy, so I guess I'll go four here. Knicks have a good offer. Donovan Mitchell's from New York. Um, okay, that's all I'm going to say about that one because that was not in my three. 
uh, not that crazy. Uh, my other one is going to be – it's kind of a out there one. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Off the rip, how do you feel about that one? It depends on what they give up, but, yeah, I feel good about that. So it, you, you really probably wouldn't be giving players up in a sense. Maybe like maybe like one or two or whatever. Because they still have the Rockets picks, right? I th- it's 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 all complicated on whose picks they have when and all of that, but uh-huh. it's just the fact that they have a, a treasure chest of draft of draft capital. And here's the thing, guys, if you're listening, they do have all those draft picks. It's good to use them. You can't use them all. Like at some point, those picks are going to be used to make some kind of trade, and whether that is with Donovan Mitchell or with someone else. That's what's going to end up happening. These Thunder picks are not just going to keep being used. Sam Presti is a genius. He has a perfect eye for talent, in my opinion, or at least close to it. But when you get that much draft capital, you don't do it with the thought of I'm making every single one of those selections. It's I'm going to use the selections to a certain point, and then once I think this team is ready to go, we're trading for a star. And to me, you pair him with SGA. Um, Giddy would not be involved in that. Um, and then, you're, like, the other piece of the core is going to be who I think is going to be Chet Holmgren. But we will see, just whoever they select second. So, you know, Shea Yotis Alexander, Josh Giddy, and whoever they draft second this year with Donovan Mitchell would be awesome, in my opinion. Yeah, and – yeah, that'd be that'd be Ov. So, I'm I'm excited. I think first of all, I'm excited for the Thunder in general, guys. The more as you're gonna learn as we talk more about the Oklahoma City Thunder, you all will learn how high I am on this team and and the organization. But um, that's why I wanted to throw them in there. My third one, I don't want to come across as a homer here, but it is the Los Angeles Clippers. And like I said, this would be in the sense that he wanted to be traded to a specific city, and one of which would be L.A. The other team in L.A. can't get him there. Okay, we just have to be honest and get that out of the way up front. They, they don't have the assets to get Donovan Mitchell. Agreed? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even in the uh. – they don't have the pick to do it. They don't have – you know, who knows what's going to happen with LeBron and AD or whatever – Russ is off the books. They just don't have the pieces. Um, you know, unless he just said, I, I, even if he just want to say, oh, I wanted to be a Laker, I don't think that, you know what, I don't think that it could be done because Utah would not just settle for that because he still has multiple years on his deal. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see a scenario where he says, I just want to be a Laker. So that, that's out the book. But the other team in Los Angeles, does they, the Clippers do have – assets to work with it's not perfect um but there's some salaries and there is some there's young talent there for sure that could maybe be enticing especially as they get more access to more future picks um it would be interesting but I think that the thing for me is I think Donovan Mitchell's ideal place in this league is not running an offense, but playing the one on a team that doesn't use a traditional point guard. So kind of like how you see teams like the Celtics and even the Clippers now, honestly, that don't have like a traditional point guard, but they have a guy that that runs the one. For me, that would be Donovan Mitchell on this Clippers team. Um, I think that's his ideal spot is being a combo guard that runs the one with a lot of spacing around him. Um, I think he would be – unreal as an offensive option in that in that setting um I also think it makes sense for the Clippers and like we you know Jamal answered this on the last podcast it does make sense for the Clippers to go after a third star whether that's Donovan Mitchell or somebody else to at least at least see if they could somewhat pull it off just because you know for me it's like the Clippers do have 12 or 13 guys that are playoff friendly but you're not going to play that many guys in the playoffs. So at that point, if you're able to trade for a third star, you would much rather have eight to nine guys that are playoff friendly with three stars than you would 12 to 13 playoff friendly guys with two stars. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. And then also, um, you know, Jamal hit on this. With Kawhi and Paul George just having some of the injury history that they do, that third star being there to kind of help you out throughout the regular season would be nice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, I mean, as much as I, I don't like it, I mean, we've seen it work wonders, but some load management with three stars on that team, yeah. It definitely helps because it, it's not like it would be something where – you know, the the big three in Brooklyn or the big three uh, on the Lakers last year, it's not something like where if one of the guys sits, they don't have good role. They don't, like, have a good big supporting cast like like a lot of guys that come in. The Clippers would be in a situation, whether it's Donovan Mitchell or any other third star, where even if one star sat one night, you would have two stars playing and at least six to seven other guys that are, like, really good role players. So I think that that would be nice for them to have. Um, I want to speak on one more thing uh, when it comes to the Jazz, only because Kevin O'Connor came out and said something about it. You know, big-time guy. Shout-out to Kevin O'Connor. Uh, writes a lot of great stuff. I'm not, I don't really listen to his podcast just because I only listen to a few different – Pods, but he's good. I like whenever he's on Zach Lowe's podcast, for instance. But he writes a lot of great stuff that I try to keep up with. And um, O'Connor said something about how the Bulls are interested in Gobert. So forget the Donovan Mitchell stuff because we do think that they're going to go. We've talked about some hypothetical Gobert trades. Uh, but I just want to talk about this. If the Bulls are interested in Gobert, and the Jazz do want to move away from Gobert, and Donovan Mitchell is wanting to stay in Utah, and they get a coach he likes and all of that. He just doesn't want to leave the organization. I am begging that that trade is not made as someone who is a fan of Donovan Mitchell because that would almost have to be something that involves Vucevic. And I, I wouldn't be able – I wouldn't feel okay knowing that one of my favorite players – is just kind of going from something that didn't work well with him to something that you just know wouldn't be great in the long run. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. And then it, and it just like cripple a career and you see that so much in the league, you know? Yeah. Um, but we just wanted to talk about Utah, just a lot of crazy stuff going on. Obviously all the trade stuff was completely hypothetical. Odds are none of it even happens. It's just fun to speculate and fun to talk about because we do talk about a league that has some of the craziest stuff in pro sports. So that's the only reason I wanted to mention that. But uh, finals have been great so far. Super excited to keep watching it. And then obviously Utah's crazy stuff. But now it's time to get on to the awesome interview that we had with Chase and Allen. So uh, excited for you guys to hear it. So. Um, we'll get straight into it. Here's our interview with Chase and Allen. And now we want to bring on Chasen Allen. Chasen is currently a assistant for the Milwaukee Bucks and the head coach for their G League affiliate, the Wisconsin Herd. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Chasen probably three or four summers ago and uh, we both were working with Nike basketball and around Nashville, Tennessee. We were in Murfreesboro for the specific camp. So I had the pleasure of meeting him there. And um, this is something, I guess, a few months back, I, I hit him up and were able to stay in touch. And uh, thankfully, he was willing to come on. So, Chasen, uh, thanks for coming on with us, man. Yeah, Kyle, thanks for having me. So, you know, you've had, you've had quite a start with your little NBA journey already. Um, I mean, you're definitely not – like on the older side, whenever it comes to comes to going through this NBA process. But um, first, I just wanted to go over some of your background before you even got into the NBA. I mean, you know, you're from – I mean, you went to Oakland High School, right? Yeah. yeah. You grew up right there in Murfreesboro and played there. And then you ended up at uh, Northeastern University up in Boston. So what took you all the way from Murfreesboro up to Boston? Yeah, so I got recruited, uh, you know, kind of all over the country. I had a big AAU turnout there in uh, 
Virginia at the, the Boo Williams event and uh, had a good showing. And I guess a, a lot of Northern teams happened to be there. And I, I had been seen by Coach Cohen, who was an assistant at Boston College at the time. And he recruited me heavily to Boston College, thought I was going to end up going there. And then he got the head job at, at Northeastern and I went along with. Okay, sweet. And, uh, you know, it seems like you're pretty successful there. Um, I know your senior year, I, for just from my research, you averaged 17, 6, and 4 with two steals a game, and you led your team in every one of those four categories. Um, yeah, I mean, I, was, I, I would call myself a little dynamic as a player. Yeah. Uh, I was able to do a lot, of, a lot of things, especially for that team, uh, and I had the trust of my coaching staff and players to, to do so as a player. For sure. Um, and then um, you went on and you played professionally in Europe. Uh, I, I was able to find that you played in Israel, Turkey, Croatia, Greece, and Poland. You play anywhere else or those five? No, those five. Those five. Uh, had a great journey over there, uh, great experience playing basketball at the, at the highest level. Playing professional basketball was always one of my dreams. Uh, and to do so while seeing the world uh, was definitely amazing. And, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I hate to say that it came to an end because of injuries, but it did. So uh, plan B. And, and, of course, that took me to coaching. What, uh, what was your injury? Uh, I tore my meniscus twice, oh. tore my hamstring uh, uh, my last year, and then came uh, and messed up my, uh, my knee after coming back from my hamstring. Wow. Uh, with a bone bruise in my knee and decide to, to hang it up. If it weren't for injuries, do you think that that's something that you may have kept doing? Yeah, I, I definitely would have continued playing. Uh, I, had a, I had a great career going over there. And, and like I said, I enjoyed seeing the world while being able to play basketball. For sure. Um, just real quick, I just want to ask, what was your favorite country that you played in and which one do you think you were most successful at? Israel. Uh, it was my first season. It was very like Americanized, so it was easily a transition. Uh, everybody spoke English, and then the basketball was great. the The best basketball experience was probably Turkey. I played over there during the lockout with the likes of Darren Williams and, and oh, guys wow. of that nature. Of course, he got his his jersey retired, and I'd hate to say that he scored fifty against our team. I wasn't <laughs> playing at the time, but. Uh, yeah, it was great, great talent over there and, and just great basketball. Uh, so basketball wise, Turkey was definitely the country to be in. That's awesome. Um, and then, you know, you said the injuries were what, were what kind of stopped the playing career. And so did, did you think, cause obviously you went into coaching pretty much right after that, right? Correct. So did you ever think that coaching was in your future? You know, it, it crossed my mind at times. I grew up uh, with a family who, of coaches. My dad coached me. My mom coached me throughout my, my childhood. And it, it crossed my mind. I knew I had it in me. Uh, I played point guard, so I was a coach on the floor. But it never really, you know, set in until I had those injuries and I was thinking about what's next. And, of course, I loved the game and I wanted to stay around it. So it was an easy transition. Yeah. I get it. And uh, now I've got around like 2016, that's when you started the coaching career, right? That was my first step into the, the coaching career. And you ended up at the University of Miami down in Florida. Yeah, down there with Jim, the great Jim Laranega. I had grown a relationship with him during my time at Northeastern. He was at George Mason. He had those great teams and made the Final Four run built a relationship with him. And, and when I got done playing, I made that call and he said he had a position for me to come on down. Now, now what was that? What was that experience like overall while you were at Miami? Um, you were in player development as an assistant, right? Correct. Uh, handled player development down there. It was great. Uh, ACC basketball, top of, you know, power five, it was just seeing great guys, a lot of guys you see in the league now, the Jason Tatums, who we'll see on Wednesday night, but guys like that playing every night, and it was good basketball and, and just learning 
at that level was was a great experience for me stepping into coaching with one of the great coaches, in my opinion. Uh, so it was good to see on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, and uh, I just want to ask real quick, who is the best player you coached at Miami in your opinion? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one for me <laughs> on the spot. Uh, I had a, a few guys that, that took to my liking. It was Davon Reed playing for the Denver Nuggets yeah. currently. Dewan Hernandez got drafted by Toronto Raptors. Bruce Brown, of course, Bruce Brown's with the Nets. Yeah. Should get a big deal this summer. Definitely. And then Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker as well, who's with San Antonio Spurs. So those guys were, were great talents and definitely have a lot of basketball uh, to play. Now, um, I saw Lonnie live in San Antonio um, a few months back. Uh, he can jump out of the gym. Um, the I mean, you, see, you, you see it on TV whenever you watch him, but it's just different in person. So, I mean – I don't doubt that you probably have seen, I don't know how many just freakish jumps from him. Yeah. The, the kid's got amazing talent and to put with that athleticism. And sometimes I don't even think he knows how high he actually is and surprises himself. Uh, there's a, I think there's a highlight of him going up and he's so high. And then he turns the ball over to land in. He actually could have dunked it. That's going around on, on Instagram. So now nah, the kids get amazing athleticism and can play the game of basketball. Okay, so so then after your time in Miami, I think about two two years later, I guess, from two or three or something like that. What what made you want to go from the college game to the NBA? So during my time in Miami during the summers, a lot of guys, of course, in the NBA want to come down to Miami, and our facility was one that the guys love to train in. There's a lot of pro runs down there, right? In the a lot of pro runs and a lot of teams come down there for mini camps. So during those, those summers, I had the chance to work a lot of guys out. Uh, Marcus Smart, um, Draymond Green, the Kyle Kuzma, those guys were in the gym, worked out with John Wall. So those guys would come in the gym, and of course, some of the, the league coaches would come with them to make sure they're doing the right stuff during the summer. And during my time working with those guys, when the coaches left, they trusted me to take on the workouts. And so during that time, my name kind of grew out, grew throughout the, the league, and they said, you'll be good at this at the next level. So, you know, I trust the opinions of others and took a chance at it. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, speaking of John Wall, uh, your first NBA gig was actually with the Wizards organization. Now, um, you were an assistant with their G League team, right? Yeah, that's correct. And that's – I remember I remember that. Uh, I remember you being with the, Wizards, with the Wizards organization because that's whenever I met you. Yep. Um, so, just uh, what was your experience like with the Wizards specifically? So it was eye-opening. That was my first experience at the professional level as a coach. Uh, just really wanted to take everything in and be a sponge. Uh, so I learned a lot. And you got to do a lot on the fly and adjust. And uh, with professional players, you just got to make sure, you know, they're no different than any other player. They got to, you know, got to create great habits. And a lot of times guys think they're working on these amazing shots and we saw the, the Jordan Poole shot the other night, but a lot of it when they get in the gym is just fundamentals, true fundamentals, and just sticking to that and making sure you understand how to coach these guys. And it's it's basically through – you do a lot through numbers, you work through video, and then you can show them. Like I was a guy that could show them on the floor. So I just used my tools that I, that I had. And, you know, once they trust you, then they're able to listen to you. Sure. Um, and Tommy, although he couldn't be here with us in this interview, he wanted to ask during your Wizards tenure, uh, he wanted to ask about the dynamic of working with Bradley Beal and John Wall. And if you could sense uh, just how you felt about that duo in general in your time with them. Yeah. So when I was with them, uh, they got off to a, a rocky start, but I think that, 
you know, with the per- right personnel around those guys, that it could be yeah, that it could have been something special there. Of course, John Wall had uh, a few injuries there, but they were they were a special backcourt that made a couple runs in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and I think with some time and the, like I said, the right personnel added a couple bigs and another wing around them that they could have done a lot of lot of damage in the Eastern Conference at that time. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, th- those guys, uh, you know, they were they were definitely a special duo together. I I, com- I agree completely with uh, certain personnel around them. They could have done much more. I mean, they actually made some noise in the playoffs sometimes. Maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't winning a series, but I remember them taking that Celtics team to Game Seven. And uh, were you a part of that? Were you- no, I okay. can't. After, yeah. Okay, uh, but I, I remember that, and, uh, you know, they, they definitely – they had potential, for sure. Yeah. And at that time, arguably top five backcourts in the league. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and then you were – how long were you with the Wizards? I was with them one year. Okay, and then you went to Milwaukee after that, right? Yeah, went there my next year, uh, worked with the, the Bucks and, and the G League team. As an assistant. And then you actually went to Brooklyn and then ended up back with Milwaukee, right? Yeah. So during COVID, they had the G League bubble. And my team that I was currently with, Wisconsin Herd, didn't – they opted out. So they set out the season. And then that's when I went over to, to Brooklyn, the Long Island Nets, uh, for that season or the bubble. We call it the gobble experience. <laughs> What what was what was that like being in being in a being in a bubble situation? You know, it was it was shorter than the NBA bubble. Uh, ours was about a month and a half. It was definitely different as you were going to your room and to a gym each and every day. It was kind of it reminded me of like AAU. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, everybody just wanted some type of normalcy during COVID, and it was just great to be there playing basketball and be able to coach basketball. Uh, so it was a great experience, and there was a lot of talent in, in one place. Um, was the Ignite team in the bubble? Yep, Ignite was there. So you, you were able to play against them? Yeah. How how was it seeing um, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kuminga and, and, and playing against them? Yeah, you could see the talent. It was an early sighting, and – you know, a lot of those guys, especially with that G League Ignite team, it's a lot of newness to it, right? Professional basketball and those guys getting out there playing against high-level athletes, and they were holding their own. And you could see that they were clearly first-round picks, and, of course, we saw where they ended up in the draft and what they're doing now. So uh, they were pretty special players. That's that's really cool. That's just I, I had not planned on asking about that, but there's something that kind of popped in the head while we were going. Oh, for sure. But um, so you, I so I guess so the 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 Nets thing was really just because of the the Bucks organization opting out. Yeah. So you've Since been. If I would have went that season. I would have continued to be with the the Bucks G League team. Yeah. So you've really been with the Bucks organization. I guess was this year three or four. This would be – so last year, with the COVID year, that would have been two. So this is technically three. We'll say okay. two and a half-ish. Okay. I got you. <laughs> now, um, what what got you from Washington to Milwaukee? What what made the move happen there? Um, I actually got a call. Uh, Chase Buford was the head coach at the time of the Wisconsin Herd who is now coaching for the Sydney Kings over in Australia. They actually just won a championship. So, so shout out to Chase, but he gave me a call and they needed assistant with a little bit of experience, playing experience as well as coaching experience. And I met that criteria. Sweet. Um, now, I mean, we, we talked briefly before we got into this, but I, you know, I just want you to kind of like open to our to our audience here, but um, how have you enjoyed your time in Milwaukee so far? I've really enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed the city. Uh, enjoyed, you know, just being able to go out to the river. They got a nice little river that runs down throughout the throughout the city. So just going out there, uh, and then of course 
the arena and what that's done for this community and winning a championship and now the Deer District. So that area has grown really in Milwaukee. And then if you've never been to Wisconsin, like they are diehard fans. Uh, I'm sure you, you've seen the, the Green Bay Packers and the Cheeseheads. Yeah. That carries over to the Milwaukee Bucks, and, and you feel that throughout the city. So it's been a great experience. It, it definitely seems like they have an elite fan base. Um, yeah. I remember specifically catching it in the Eastern Conference Finals and the Finals last year. And, I mean, I know the thought through people's head may be, well, yeah, it's the Eastern Conference Finals, it's the Finals. But, like, I feel like even from a TV screen, you can tell when the fans are really, really into it. And it just seemed like that with Milwaukee for me, watching them last year. No, yeah, for sure. And then, of course, uh, I'm the head coach of the Wisconsin Herd. So we're like an hour 15 north up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I tell you, like, our arena is packed each and every night. Uh, I think it holds around three, three to 4,000. Yeah. And it's packed every night we play. And by far the, the best fans. And, I, of course, it might sound biased, but honestly the best fans and turnouts in the G League. That, that's awesome. Um, definitely that you guys are getting sold-out crowds. That, that, that's really cool. Um, you know, obviously uh, with, with working with the Bucks, uh, there's, a, there's a big name in the organization, and um, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, he's, he's, to say the least, a very, very, very good player. <laughs> and, um, you know, what's it like seeing him firsthand on a consistent basis? Yeah, I mean, the, the name kind of fits him perfectly, the Greek freak. Um, I tell you, he gets in the gym every day, and you always hear about star athletes and the work they put in. I've actually seen it up close and personal. Like, he sets a standard. And it's carried throughout this organization and everyone feels it. Uh, so we all, and of course, coaches want to put an expectation, but he set the standard and the expectation and we try to meet it. So, and the players try to meet it. So it's, it's great to have a star uh, like, like himself. Sure. Okay, so just also along with Giannis, um, I just wanted to ask, just because I feel like the improvement with him as a player in the specifically in the past two years um you know I feel like there's always been this misconception to this point that he still doesn't have much of a game outside of like driving to the rim to a lot of the casual fan base and maybe the people who you know aren't involved with the league a lot so like what's it been like to see him because he was above league average from mid-range this year and his three ball has also steadily improved every single season so, like, what do you think it is for him when it comes to progressing as a shooter or just progressing maybe it's just his confidence in that sense and becoming a better player by improving in those areas? Yeah, I mean, it's the continued work, of course, and then just seeing a few go in uh, in the game and game, game situations. I think, uh, like you said, like you stated, he's steadily improved and will continue to improve with the amount of work he puts in. And, of course, at the end of the day, Giannis is a guy who wants to win and is competitive. So if you can get to the basket whenever you want and, and do those things at the rim, why not? I think – 100%. Like, couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that, like – you know, hopefully to our listeners, like you're hearing this from someone who is on this coaching staff, like who, who cares if maybe he does that a few possessions in a row, he is, he is almost unstoppable in a sense. So why not do it? Yeah. Um, so also, you know, working with the Bucks organization, um, obviously won a championship last year. Um, what was that like, just being a part of an organization that won the world championship? Yeah, of course. Uh, it, it, it brings a lot, man. It, it's because it's I started – when I started with the Wisconsin Herd, what, three years now, you could see it building and the frustration that they know they're right there and getting to a certain point. And then just to see get over the hump and do what they did uh, last year against Phoenix, 
was just like fulfilling and, and to see those guys, you know, make that's a, a big accomplishment, uh, especially in a small market. Obviously we have Giannis, but in a small market is, is very tough to do in this league. And for, for an organization and, and the culture in, in this city has been tremendous and uh, something I'll never forget. And, you know, just branching off that that championship experience and that team, I just have two questions. One, you know, I just want to know, because you guys did go down 0-2 to start the finals. Um, what was the feel? Because, you know, a lot of people in that 0-2 situation will go ahead and write a team off. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it was for you guys to kind of to kind of tell yourselves, like, we are not out of this? Yeah, I think it's just the culture of – just competing. Uh, big thing is compete here and just play. Uh, uh, there was no stress and no, you know, it was no anxiety there. Like it was just like, let's play ball. We're here now. We've, we've made it to this point. Let's play. Let's give it our best shot. And, and of course, adjustments and the ball has to go on the bash. You got to get enough stops. But uh, a lot of it was, okay, we're here now. Let's show what we can do. Yeah, for sure. And then I just also wanted to ask, you know, I, I remember John Horse specifically being very confident the moment that he made the Drew Holiday trade. And I just wanted to know, like, did it feel like there was a shift in the organization of, like, we really can do this now after that move was made? Uh, that was a, a big-time, trans- uh, you know, acquisition right there with that trade. Uh, I don't know if it was a, a feel. I think it was – you could see uh, it trending up. Mm-hmm. And with that trade, of course, Drew is a, is a heck of a player and adds a, a different dynamic to the team and, and what he can do as leadership defensively and and on the offensive end of the court. And I think it was a, a big piece to the success of, you know, that, that year and that championship. Yeah. Um... You know, obviously being with being the G League head coach for the Bucks affiliate um, in the G League, um, w- which players have you been able to work with a lot more uh, that might be two-way players or maybe have been called up along the way? Um, and specifically, I just wanted to ask, have you have you been able to work a lot with Jordan Nawara? Yeah, so I had Jordan Nawara this year, uh, a guy that can really score the ball at a, at a high level has a, a, a great clip, can shoot it outside, can put it down uh, when he needs to. And, and I think he, he's a, a guy that to look out for, for these next couple of years that can really score it, man. And and once, you know, he finds his place and, and finds that level of just being able to compete and and uh, on the defensive end, I think he's going to be a, a very tremendous talent in this league. Um, I've worked with him, William Gabriel, who is now – with the Lakers, uh, signed a two-way, and now the contract with the Lakers. We called up Rajon Tucker on the Bucks this year, and then uh, we had four other call-ups this year for my for my team. Jamario Jones went to the Lakers, to Mount Waters, uh, Raptors, and Wizards, um, and I think that's pretty much it for this year. But it was it was a great year for the herd and uh, with the call-ups. Um, of guys that really can play and hopefully are able to stick at, at the next level. Now, now, you guys had a very successful year, your G League team, right? Yeah. No, anytime you get uh, – we had 14 overall call-ups. Anytime you are able to get that done within a, a G League organization and uh, it's all about development and that's a big part of development. Once they develop and get them to the next level, then you can call that success uh, for your team, your organization at the G League. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, something I've been wanting to ask about is uh, obviously the head coach for the Bucks team himself is Mike Budenholzer. Obviously he comes from that Popovich coaching tree. He's proven to be a good, co- a very good coach at this point. What's it like having him as like a guy to talk to and kind of learn from? No, it's been great to, you know, just listen in on the huddles and, 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 you know, watch game film with him and just see what he sees. Of course, like you said, he's coming from the pop of his tree and he's got a great, brilliant basketball mind himself. 
uh, that I've enjoyed being around and, and he's very competitive. So I, I'd like to embody that and take it with me the rest of my career. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to speak or say something that you don't want to, but I assume that you want to keep working your way up in this NBA uh, position, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I'd like to, you know, continue to work and, I'm blessed to, to be in the position I'm, I'm at and want to just continue to work. And that's what I've done thus far and just see where it takes me. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jason, I, I just want to say we really appreciate your time for coming on today, man. No, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And, and I hope to, you know, continue to listen on you guys' success uh, with your podcast. I appreciate it, man. Well, with that being said, this is the end of episode 13 of the Coast to Coast podcast, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again, Jason. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Have a good one, man.